Hey listeners, Happy New Year's. To kick off the new year, we're actually going to be saying one last farewell to 2019. Today, we're revisiting our top performing episode of last year. This episode has over like 9,000 listens and continues to achieve plays from people all over the world. This was season three, episode four, entitled Database Methods in the Finance Industry. Also, next week, we're going to be premiering season four of Making Data Simple with our 100th episode special. Yes, it's been 100 episodes. You won't want to miss it. It's a special guest. Talk to you soon. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even Making data simple, as the name suggests, we try to talk to everything surrounding data, making the complex simple. But as the name doesn't suggest, we just talk about whatever we want to in the end of the day. So uh, we'll probably do some of that today. And speaking of today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Michael Willette. And uh, Michael is the Assistant Vice President and Technical Fellow at at, uh, USAA. And uh, Michael, I guess that means the first time you know I looked at your title, I guess that means that you have the rare combination of being a business leader that is incredibly smart, unlike myself. You get the fellow name to it. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's one way at it. Um, or maybe it was the the guy who was uh, really smart and then just kind of accidentally fell into management. Um, <laughs> that's another way, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was never it was never the other way around. I'd always kind of been the the geek at the keyboard for most of my career. So. Hey, we, we need the geeks at the keyboard. I was there once too, although uh, I'd like to be more technical than I am today. But I'll let you introduce yourself. The research I have, and you know, it's whether it's on LinkedIn or otherwise, it said this is how you, how you were described, is an experienced executive director with a demonstrated history of working in the financial services industry, strong information technology professional uh, skilled in IBM DB2, which I love, by the way. That's one of my favorites. Oracle Database, which I hate, by the way. Red and blue. (laughs) Enterprise software, enterprise architecture, and agile methodologies. Is that you in a nutshell, or what doesn't that characterize? Yeah, that's that's probably the 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 techno geek of about four years ago. To be honest, Uh, over the last four years, I've really kind of added a lot of technical strategy. Uh, into that that roadmap. So building data strategies, kind of helping the business get from old school kind of views of data architecture and, and how to you know get the most out of data and analytics and really helping drive investments in technology, but but also focusing on helping the business change the way they think about it. I mean, I think the biggest biggest things we've been trying to overcome and I see in a lot of the industry is um, it's not necessarily a technology problem anymore. It used to be, you know, how much data could you store on that disk? How many, you know, cycles could you get out of that core? Uh, today, we, we seem to be a little more capable in that space with, a, you know, the, the ceiling being much higher. But where we've struggled is getting that change management of explaining the business, how they can run and maximize their value out of data. And I really spent a lot of my last couple of years bridging that gap. Is that under the Agile methodology umbrella or bigger than that? It's definitely bigger. I mean, Agile is part of it. I think that gets away from these long-term projects. But really, um, you know, there's this great saying I saw once on the internet that a lot of a lot of companies, and, and I think it's it's true at most of the big ones, uh, are still running on the classical 
HIPAA principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I love it. It's called the highest paid person's opinion. Um, and so, you know, you see a lot of companies hire resources who've done something at other companies um, and or what they did at their last job. And so what they're what what people are doing isn't just thinking about, you know, how to deliver, but it, it really is just teams are built to, you know, kind of validate their existing opinions. Uh, they're not necessarily these data driven data first companies that are questioning everything about how they run their business. And so delivery of the new techniques are important, but the change management around how you get business from, you know, the 1990s view of just there's a smart guy who makes decisions and maybe he has a spreadsheet in front of him to getting into a room where people are confident to ask questions, dig into the data and find out what it tells them. Nice. All right. Hey, before I jump into, I got a lot of questions about what you just said, but before I jump into that, um, I presume you're a Texas native. Is that right? I was born in Austin, Texas, was a military brat, uh, and then uh, joined the military, did a couple little, you know, different locations, and then came back as quick as I could to, to the Austin area. Yep. All right. So, and I know that Daniel Hernandez, he's a, a <laughs> fellow acquaintance of ours. <laughs> yeah. He's the offering manager at IBM. He's been desperate for me to, to have this dialogue with you. But I've got to ask you, you're not misguided in your barbecue knowledge like he is, are you? Uh, no, I, I actually grew up and graduated from Lockhart High School. Um, so I know that the best barbecue in the world is a smoked barbecue, uh, preferably a brisket with a good beef pork combination sausage. If you ever need that, just come on over to uh, Lockhart, Texas. It's barbecue capital of Texas. Uh, <laughs> well, you almost hit, you were so close. It was so. Yeah, where did I go wrong? Is, were you a, are you a Georgia pulled pork pork kind of no, guy? No, no, I'm a Kansas. I'm coming to you from oh. Kansas City. Yeah, so you, you you like barbecue sauce with some kind of protein underneath it? <laughs> no, I don't always eat barbecue. Sauce. <laughs> That's not accurate. That's not accurate at all. I smoke <laughs> rubs okay too, but you know, just as long as it's the, it's the best, and that's what we have here, man. No, 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 no. We're you, gonna go to Texas. We we know how to do it. Yeah, I know. Texas is always bigger. So you are just like Daniel and her name. I am. I am. We're we're definitely Texas barbecue snobs. Yeah. All right. So (laughs) tell me, it's hard to get beyond that right now, but I'll I'll, I'll move move forward. So um, I'm really curious. So I'm going to get into it. I want to talk a little bit about USAA. I want to come back to your view on data, et cetera. But I do want to ask you a question right off the top because you have the unique, we kind of chatted on this already, but of the vice president and fellow. How did, how did you get to be fellow and, and what is that, uh, what, what's the makeup of that? Yeah, so in a, in a nutshell, really what it comes down to is the senior most technical resource in a specific domain. Um, and so I feel like we need to start making bumper sticker or t-shirts that says I was in data before data was sexy. Um, you know, I worked in ERP systems. I worked in a lot of the marketing CRM systems back in the day. Um, kind of came in with a math degree in computer science and really was a developer and just spent a lot of years kind of growing uh, in that space of data warehousing, databases, uh, business intelligence, uh, visualization, all those major components and kind of built a pretty strong technical portfolio where I was seen as and, and recognized as the senior most technical person. And so Technical fellows are ultimately kind of the simplest way to describe them as they're kind of field chief technology officers. Their job is to operate and kind of have 
pretty close to final call on all technology decisions and their domains. Um, and then they also kind of really set long-term strategy. So I guess the way I got that was, um, is I was able to rock enough of the boat without throwing everybody off. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I really, I kind of championed a lot of new ideas uh, and just to throw the old IBM plug out there, two major um, kind of feathers in my cap that got me to this role was, you know, we, we transitioned off of the original IBM BCU, go back a ways. This was a, you know, kind of a balanced configuration unit was warehouses were built on. We migrated most of our infrastructure to Natiza, which had recently been purchased at the time by IBM. Uh, so, you know, we had a lot of knowledge on how to do that, kind of worked a lot with IBM. And then the second major kind of feather from an infrastructure perspective was um, we brought in SPSS and deployed near real-time models uh, for our call center um, in that environment. So, yeah, basically just, you know, senior field chief technology officer is, is probably the best way to look at tech fellow role. All right. Um, and I was always have questions there too, but I, I want to ask you about USAA first. Sure. Uh, because I think, uh, how long have you been with USAA now? Well, this is my second time with USAA. Um, oh, really? When I, uh, I started in 2003, uh, stopped in 2005, and then came back in 2007, been here ever since. So the thing, tell me a little bit, I, I want to understand, I've been to USAA, by the way, it's a beautiful campus. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way I understand it, it was founded by a group of army officers that needed auto insurance or, or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. And now you branch, you got homeowners, life insurance, I think banking. Is it, but I, I thought, here's where I get confused. Is yeah. it uh, specific to military personnel? Because I thought at one point you opened it up to civilians, yeah. but it's not civilians anymore. I'm trying to Sure, sure. Uh, so ultimately, 1920, 1918, 1922, um, you know, several military officers were unable to get auto insurance because they were considered transient uh, workers because they were constantly moving. So they basically built a co-op and association where they would co-insure one another. Uh, that grew into being an officer only, and you had to be active to gain your membership. Uh, once you had your membership, you had your membership for life. That went on for a long time and extended into other branches of the military, still officers, and then even started including um, certain other areas of the government. So um, like I think the FBI and Secret Service and so on. Early 2000s, uh, maybe 2007, 2008, we, um, we, ex we ex expanded our eligibility to include people who had um, who were in the military, well, hold on, let me go back. 1997, they extended to active duty enlisted, so non-officers, 1997. But in order to establish your, your um, membership, you had to have been active at the time. So you had to get your first product while you were a member. And in 2008, they increased it to anyone who has ever honorably served our country. Um, and then, so the way that works is once you establish your membership with a property and casualty product, and, and by no means am I the lawyer or the, the guy who runs these products. Uh, but once you establish via your affiliation to the military, then your direct family members are eligible. So your wife and your children are able to establish products based on your service to the, to the military. So we do have several people who are, you know, four or five generations removed from the military who are active members with USAA. So I kind of believe that that dynamic, 
which is an interesting dynamic. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I mean, like 2008 must have been a big year when you opened that up then. I mean, yeah. you, you must have had to groan substantially following that year. I think we were around five, um, somewhere under the five million mark um, when we expanded eligibility. And today we are up to 12 million active members. So, um, and so, you know, let's just call it really kind of got in earnest in 2009, 2010. We are now double the size or triple the size we were at the time. So, so, so why, I mean, I, I kind of get it, but, you know, in the day and age of, you know, trying to get more subscribers, so you can drive more subscriptions, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. How are you, I mean, how, how does that dynamic play out? I mean, how are you able to contain that and how do you stay with your principles? And could you describe the principles or brand sure. of USAA that lends itself to that model you just described? Yeah, so uh, uh, Wes Laird is our, our chief marketing officer and he's, he said it best because I had those same questions when we did the expansions. Like, how do we maintain our identity as you start to just think of almost this kind of pyramid exponential growth factor, like the people that you were core to who you were are slowly going to become a minority in your new business. And um, I think the marketing and the branding team really said it best. And it says that we're willing to extend, you know, our, our membership to, to more people over time. And we know that the dynamics will change, but we're always going to run our company with our military first. So when you think about what products we offer and, and how we go about doing our business, it is always about the active military, you know, personnel. Our products, you know, from day to day are designed around what they need and the rest of us, you know, like former veteran myself and others, we use those products and we support, but the core of the product is to support the active military component. So I think that's where we, we always kind of look at our product and, and where we're going. And we say, is this something that's needed by our active military? Is this something that best serves our, our, you know, our men and women in the armed forces? And if so, then we absolutely go there. And we don't always think about what's it going to do to some of the other larger demographics in our audience. I mean, I, we obviously do, but we definitely think our membership being core active military. That's very clear. I mean, that's pretty. So I don't think you're a corporation, too, because I, so I think the profit yeah. go back to the uh, your clients. Yeah, absolutely. We send back distribution checks every year. Um, and, you know, like basically what we do is we do our loss reserving. We put away our money for paying our, our employees. We, you know, put away money to make sure we have, you know, fiduciary oriented responsibilities across all of our lines of business. And then the rest of the money goes back. It's fascinating. So as it brings us back to data, and I got to believe there's some unique dynamics and challenges with USAA. So I guess the simple question or overriding question, and you talked a little about SPSS, um, which is kind of the, the, the data science tool of choice, if you ask me. There's an Tease Appliance, which I'm a big fan of. I also uh, lead and manage that, and um, would like to hear more maybe about that in a bit. But how do you just overridingly, uh, how do you see the world of data at USAA? Ooh, uh, yeah, I would tell you there's some definitely varying degrees uh, of usage and, and kind of what what role they play. You know, in, in our, our most advanced spaces, mainly because the business was driven on it, we have very advanced actuarial processes in our property and casualty company um, where we use data. I think our bank is, is drastically um, coming up to speed, you know, both from a maturity and our growth over the last five years. 
but at the same time, um, and we can kind of jump in and out, but the, the regulations have spurred pretty big growth in our data maturity and the stuff we're doing around data in our property and casualty company. Um, we've been doing a lot of work in our, uh, what we call financial advice and servicing group, our, our investments company. Um, it was recently announced that we are selling off part of our mutual fund business to Victory Capital in order to kind of maintain our focus on what's important to our active duty. Um, and then, you know, our digital transformation has, has really, I would tell you, grown a lot and, and done, made some great strides because of the things we're doing in data, whether that's personalization and machine learning, AI, all, the, all those great words. But um, ultimately, I would, I would give us a solid, um, and, you know, B plus to A minus overall when you compare at a relative scale to what's going on in the industry. But USAA, we are, we are our largest critics. We, we love to evaluate ourselves based on sometimes unfair standards. And we feel that there's a lot of progress to be made in some of these new data architectures and some of these tools um, that allow us to get, get up and running. Big problem we have is data democratization. I don't know if you've heard this new term. It, it's kind of the new self-service business intelligence. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to find a way to streamline the process of IT teams building solutions for our business that are taking too long, cost too much money, and tend not to hold to the test of time, right? So how do you build an environment that gives access to the right information, the right data, to the right people with, you know, minimal capital investment uh, over year over year, but instead build it into some kind of sustainable model? Just jumped around a lot of places there. No, no, that's, a, that's all right. So do you have, with the model that you have and what we just described about the dynamics of USAA, do you still have all the same challenges that you'd see within other businesses, like trying to predict churn and prevent churn, uh, you know, those kind of, you know, ML modeling that you're doing and the reporting you're doing, or, or is there other areas that really make you unique and, and challenges that other businesses may not have? Yeah, I, you know, and once again, I would tell you generally, I mean, we absolutely do churn analysis. We don't want to lose anybody. But I mean, even in our commercials on television, there's numbers like, I think it's 96% of all of our members plan to stay for life. And we have a ridiculous retention rate. And the standard we carry for standard churn analysis is pretty high. Um, but I would tell you really where where we have challenges for anyone else or compared to a lot of other people is we have for so long set the, the bar on customer service. I mean, it's not even it's not even a competition in terms of what net promoter scores are, what our brand is, the level of trust that we get from our membership. And so when you start talking about a digital transformation, when you get away from what your secret sauce has always been, which is in these highly qualified, skilled, and uh, beloved employees answering phone calls for our members, and you start trying to translate that into you know, a digital online um, transaction, there's a lot of work there. There's a lot of secret sauce and when our, what these humans are able to use and do that is difficult to emulate via code uh, and so as we start to understand, you know, what, what cognitive capabilities are our MSRs using, our member service reps, in order to kind of provide this world-class class service, how can we build systems, whether that's with robotic process automation, whether it's machine learning, artificial intelligence, chatbots, but how do we build that in a way that as best as possible for, for, the, for the core of our business transactions, how do we use data 
in order to make sure that our systems think about our member first, just like our MSRs do. Whereas in other places, and I, I won't point fingers, but hey, it doesn't really matter. Your, your phone call in is, is this not some unique experience that you're having with the, with the customer service rep. It's actually preferred by the customer to go online. Hey, we actually have the other problem. Like our, our online service is actually, it kind of falls behind the ability of our MSRs to kind of throw out that customer service. So we struggle with how do we build a similar experience on our digital platforms that our members are getting on the phone platforms today. So one thing, I mean, you hit on something that's very uh, important to me, and that's the client experience. I've, I have one way or another, I lead development and client success with analytics right now. And I've always had some foot in support my entire career because I just, the client experience to me is paramount. And it's good that the, the larger industry is heading that way with all the subscription-based uh, modeling and, 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 you know, kind of, the, I think the cloud to me is really built on, uh, or the movement to cloud is built on, hey, you, you, you reward those that, um, you know, are giving you the best experience. And the one thing that USAA is the brand that, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is your client experience and your customer service. Uh, just fundamentally, I got to ask you, what makes it great? What makes it so great? I mean, how do you, how, how do you, what's the principles that you abide by that, that are adopted, obviously, that uh, make it differentiated across the industry? Yeah, I think it really is true. It, I mean, I don't think, I know I see day after day uh, a culture in which it is about putting the member first, right? We want to make this member whole. Uh, we want to do what we need to do to make that happen. And when you have a culture that thinks about the member experience and how we're best serving them first, like that's the number one kind of highest level C-suite objective at USAA is make sure our members are whole, that they have all the tools and, and everything they need to be you know, financially secure throughout their life. That, that has been those things where it, it just permeates the entire culture. So yeah, we have a sales organization that is trying to make sure that we are letting our members know about the products we have. We have a marketing team. We have, you know, accountants that make sure we have product, you know, a profit line that kind of keeps us financially secure, but it's just something that um, it works all the way through. It's from our CEO, Stuart Parker, all the way down to people like myself and the, and the MSRs who answer phones. It's, I mean, we, every meeting starts with our mission statement, which is to facilitate the financial security of our membership and their family uh, for, for their entire lifetime. And we, we hold true to that. And I think that's what really kind of makes us unique and special when it comes to, to building that experience. The, uh, what is your, can you say what your MPS is? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 uh, you don't know. (laughs) I I probably wouldn't say it, but uh, mainly because that's when corporate comms would probably give me a hard time for spouting. So so (laughs) how do you instrument technology into the customer service? Are you using anything sentiment analysis? You're using call, optimized call routing. Do you treat clients differently based on a certain profile? So you treat them smarter relative to that profile or any other things that you can give another guy that's uh, very interested in the client experience? Yeah. I mean, I I think what we do is we really, we really, um, when it comes to some of the scenarios we use, so we absolutely do tons of customer feedback and survey and voice of the customer and sentiment analysis. Um, but we spend a lot of time 
really trying to do this idea of a, kind of a, a newer thing at USAA is this really monitoring the customer journey analytic, right? Like understanding what got them to this point, what's going on, what is in context of what's occurring. That's a that's a new big piece that I think is going to make some changes. Um, we do a massive amount of call routing, intelligent call routing. And really what we want to do is we, we, um, we don't have this kind of priority where certain people get certain levels. I mean, our members are our members. But what we do try to do is match, you know, the need of what you're likely to call in for to the person most suited to do that. And so um, we spend a lot of time kind of building that. That first call resolution is a big metric for us. Um, and then the other is this channel shift. Like how, how many people are calling us because they couldn't finish something on the digital channel, right? They wanted to, they were trying to fill out a form, but something went wrong and so they call in. So we, we really track that. We've also organized a lot of our uh, delivery mechanisms and even our investments around distinct and important experiences. So whether it's purchasing a vehicle, uh, acquiring homeowners insurance, you know, opening a product, getting married, we've built journeys and experiences that make sure our members have as seamless as possible of a, of a journey through that. Uh, and so we, we understand that these are critical kind of pivotal points in, in our members' journey, you know, what kind of life, whether it's marriage, whether it's buying a vehicle, whether it's getting a home. And we try to make sure that we have those journeys and experiences well mapped with all the right tools in place. And then we measure those and kind of effectively, I guess you'd say effectively use feedback mechanisms to tweak those processes. But end of the day, USA is still uh, an auto property uh, insurance company with a bank. And so there are large, large numbers of transactions that are simple things like, tell me how much money I have in my account. Um, tell me what's going on, you know, in my, on my mortgage or why did my, um, why did my homeowner's rate go up? And a lot of those things, you know, those transactions occur and we have to make sure that we're able to, to meet those. But what we want to do is have the differentiating experiences so that our members really keep that understanding that we're out there working for them on the most critical components. I know that you, uh, I try to keep this IBM agnostic for the most part, yeah. but I know you work with IBM data offerings. Can, can you take an opportunity just to give us an outside perspective on what we're doing well and, and, and also what we can improve on? Yeah, um, I think the you know, kind of IBM Cloud Private is um, a very, very compelling uh, product that has some uniqueness that's going to allow us, uh, allow the industry to do a lot of really great things. You know, where we're going with the data offerings, specifically around, you know, DB2 Blue and, and you know, kind of the new Natiza uh, boxes, I think, uh, Sailfish, the, the data layers um, are great. I think SPSS is another wonderful product that brings what I consider to be kind of a commoner's approach to data science, right? I mean, people love Python, people love R, but, you know, it requires special skills. So I think um, SPSS is another great product. I think ultimately, one of the things that I think IBM has, the upside that IBM has, that if they decided to really go after it, is just amazing is there is no other company with the breadth of products that IBM has, right? From, from analytics to the data layer to, you know, forecasting and modeling, 
just the breadth of products, the data governance tools, all of it, I still really, really believe that if IBM would, would say, we're going to start to truly tightly integrate these products in ways that even if, even if you don't need it, it's just going to be how they work, uh, would create such a compelling story for people uh, that it would be difficult not to make, you know, for large enterprises not to make decisions. So I'll give an example. Uh, like, I understand why it doesn't happen. I'm just trying to take the long, the long game here. Um, Unica was purchased by IBM back in 2008, 2009, maybe even later. Um, but when it was purchased, um, you know, they had a Bayesian model in there that runs with its own code and does its own thing. And that, that system could call out and use SPSS. It's been, it's probably been nine years since that purchase has happened. And I ask like, hey guys, when is it that the SPSS engine, literally the SPSS framework is not just bolted into Unica to run these Bayesian models so that, you know, that way, when you look at this, I may have just bought Unica as a standalone tool, um, but it's not, it's not its own code running a Bayesian analytic. It's running something on top of another framework that, you know, if someone decides to turn it on, you, it's already kind of there. I think bringing all these products together, SPSS and data governance is another great example. There's so many places where you could build these consolidated suite of tools that would just, I don't know, I think they could potentially blow away the fact that today I, I go off and get a lot of different products and I have to integrate those together. And that's just how it goes. Unfortunately, I have to do that same thing with even the IBM suite. Right. Um, and it just seems like at some point we're going to start bringing those products together and let them run in a way that um, really starts to make it a multiplier of value to the business. Fair enough. That that I, I appreciate that feedback. Got a lot of responses I could give you. I, I would say that <laughs> the ICP for data in, in and of itself, that microservices architecture is not a, only set up for the integration of our products, but it's also making our standalone products better so that they integrate independently well, because we're designing them with containerization, yeah, yeah. Them built on Kubernetes, et cetera. So um, we should be able to give you exactly what you're asked for. USAA is a global elite client, one of our global elite clients. Daniel is the exec sponsor, the Daniel Hernandez yes. I started out. Let's talk about all the things he's doing wrong real quick. No, <laughs> I would love to do that, but I better not in a public forum. Yeah, you know, yeah, because the scary thing is I'd answer that question. <laughs> I don't well, give compliments to people I pay, so yeah, that's right. really the rule. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey, um, I want to finish up, if you don't mind, with what sure. I call a lightning round, kind of uh, about you. Everybody goes through it. It's, it's okay. okay. they're softballs, I promise. But I've only got three for you because I don't want to keep you beyond uh, the time okay. allotted. But uh First question is, um, you've got a lofty position at USAA. You've got uh, the integration of the business VP with um, the the fellow. And by the way, I, I we didn't even get into this. You've got you know some marketing in your background that I, I've yeah. seen, which which seems, boy, you've, it, it, it's not a straight path, which is great. That means you've got a lot of experience <laughs> everywhere. But I'd like to describe a day in the life of, of Michael Ouellette. Yeah, I tell you, generally speaking, it's uh, – the the day in the life of all that starts with the coffee early in the morning. Without going, uh, I would tell you, uh, first part of my day would be spent kind of helping the business rationalize their strategy, what they're trying to accomplish, uh, and help them understand 
the feasibility of it, the timelines, and, and maybe how data or the infrastructures and technologies could help solve their problems. Um, by the lunchtime, I'm, I'm kind of working with a lot of our execution teams to help them understand the bigger journeys, what's going on, you know, best ways to think about design principles, um, and, and then really just kind of helping rationalize their execution portfolio, making sure that it's all aligned to a, a nice concerted delivery uh, vehicle. I would tell you the next the next part of my day is is probably spent with um, mentoring. I spend a, a good amount of time mentoring everything from new hires who are just getting into data to the most senior of, of the architecture teams, helping them understand some of these intangibles that that make a difference. It's not always about being the smartest person in the room. It's about understanding, educating, teaching, and then more importantly, in some cases, just being quiet. That's that's probably my number one lesson. Sometimes if you'll just listen to your customers, you'll you'll gain the empathy and you'll start to understand what they're trying to do. And then I generally finish my day um, in the business of managing. Um, I have I have a team of architects that I manage and and just doing kind of the business of forecasting and traveling and getting people to the right conferences and the right training and, and finding mentoring. Uh, yeah, so I would tell you that's pretty much the day. It's Helping you know define business strategy, helping our execution teams understand how to get the most in the architecture, uh, mentoring, and then doing kind of just standard architectural leadership roles. Well, within all of that, that leads me to my second question. So, how do you maintain your own technical chops while you're doing all of what you just described above, including managing the business? Yeah. So uh, the way I try to do that is I I I didn't bring it up in there just because it was too many things, but I I do. Uh, work heavily with our research teams. Like that's where I kind of spend my time keeping sharp. So as we prototype and pilot new tools, um, I spend time there working on that. Uh, and then I spend a ton of time on Flipbook, to be completely honest, reading lots of articles. Um, and then if I see something new, I am, I've got, you know, several laptops and, and uh, I have all kinds of different operating systems and spark clusters and so it's really about being curious, and a lot of that's done on my own time, just kind of digging into the, the technologies that are out there and kind of on the forefront. Flipbook, huh? That's one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you know, to. You go in there, and basically, you pick all the topics you like, and then it just brings all that news, a news aggregator, and I really, really like it. All right, that's good advice. Um, last simple question is just, uh, where can folks reach you if they have full like, questions? Are you willing to answer questions from anybody listening and, and where could they reach you or, um, yeah, is there, yeah. Is there a contact yeah. point? Is uh, LinkedIn probably, or? probably, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Message me on LinkedIn. I am, I am pretty responsive actually. Um, I, cause I, like I said, with all the mentoring I do for my architects, I tell them having that social presence matters. So I, I probably check it several times a day. Notifications are on. Um, so, you know, just message me there, uh, and you're more than welcome to email me, uh, at my michael.willette at usaa.com, first name dot last name at USAA. And, um, you know, if I can help, you know, kind of create some connections and, uh, I, I think that's what our industry needs. We need more people kind of bringing it together and sharing knowledge. I'd love to help facilitate that also. You are the man. Hey, you've lived up to everything that Daniel said you would. I, uh, you've, I find you very easy to talk to. And by, listen, just to prove that I was listening, there's a couple of things that I took away. I mean, there's a lot of sound bites here. Like, would you say it was hippo, highest paid person's opinion to yeah, avoid? Hippo. 
Yeah, the hippo principle, yep. I like that. Uh, I was in data before data was sexy. See, I was taking notes. Yeah, yeah. Ability to part statement, yeah. <laughs> I was I was able to rock the boat enough without throwing everyone off. That's how you got the yeah. position you're in. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Infrastructure should be in the wall, not out front. Yeah. And one that I kind of conjured together was the change management. Uh, what did I say here? Change management, or how do you drive change management? It's really done through driving growth mindsets and trying to have a philosophy of automating every process. Yeah. Hope I got yep. that one. And lastly, yep. this is probably my favorite one. And, and, and if this is really true, I want you to tell me every meeting starts with a mission statement. That is absolutely 100% true. I had a town hall today, 150 people on a Skype call and I started in an informal town hall with the mission statement. It is, it is absolutely how USA runs. And what's the mission statement? The mission, the mission statement is to facilitate the financial, I mean, I don't have it exactly, but it's to facilitate, be the provider of choice for our military community uh, and provide um, products and services that kind of facilitate the financial security of our membership throughout their lifetime. I think that's a fabulous suggestion. I think more companies, and I need to think about that just as well, should do that. Yeah. Keep everybody on the same vision. Thank you so much for your discussion today. I think it's fabulous. Uh, we will be in touch so we can uh, carry on this dialogue if you're up for it in the, in, in, the, in the future. Love it. Thank you very much for the time, Alan. Enjoyed the questions. Enjoyed the conversation. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate Perfect. it. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and